Welcome to this week's episode of Healthcare That Cares with Ben, Adam, and Michaela. Today's episode is sponsored by Independent Health. Independent Health is a health maintenance organization in western New York that covers over 350,000 people. Let's begin by talking about the increase in the cost of pharmaceutical drugs. It's become a concern for patients, prescribers, payers, and policymakers. In fact, in 2013, per capita spending on prescription drugs was $858 compared with an average of $400 for 19 other industrialized nations. In the United States, prescription medications now comprise an estimated 17% of overall personal health care services and per capita drug spending in the U.S. exceeds that in all other countries driven by brand name prices that have been increasing at rates beyond the consumer price index. Price gouging is defined as any price increase that is equal to or greater than 100% at a single point in time. Just to give our listeners a few facts about the recent changes in prices. The cost of Bevencio, a new cancer drug approved in March, is about $156,000 a year per patient. A new muscular dystrophy drug came on the market late last year for an eye-popping price of $300,000 annually. The cost of insulin tripled between 2002 and 2013, despite no notable changes in the formulation or manufacturing process, and the most pertinent recent example is a four-decade-old EpiPen, a life-saving allergy medication, has seen a price hike of 500% since 2007. Now let's shift to some economic lessons. When it comes to pharmaceutical drugs, they are often a necessity, even life-threatening. This makes demand close to perfectly elastic. Consumers must find a way to purchase the drug no matter the price. They are not sensitive to price change. This not only creates a price ceiling, but a shortage and deadweight loss. A price floor disrupts the market. Ideally, we want sellers to produce more and want consumers to decide who needs it. We've researched that one of the ways in which the market can become more competitive is allowing for importation of medication from other countries. For instance, in Canada, many cancer drugs are about half of the price as their equivalent in the United States. Allowing for this kind of importation would lead to the reduction of some monopoly power of the drug companies in the United States, which will result for less profit for the drug companies, however, allow for greater consumer surplus. According to standard economic theory, with more competition, the prices will fall since the drug companies will no longer be able to set the price where the marginal revenue equals marginal cost. In my opinion, this would lead to much more reasonable drug prices. There are three main factors that cause the drug market to be skewed. Firstly, the longer a drug company is able to maintain its monopoly, the longer it can continue to charge whatever it wants for its product. In fact, it is widely known that the duration of a patent allows for few over spillover inventions. Secondly, Medicare is blocked by law from negotiating prices. For example, the Veterans Health Administration is required to cover almost all drugs approved by the FDA, regardless of whether a cheaper, equally effective drug is available. Thirdly, the supply of a newer medicine, however, is controlled entirely by the drug manufacturer that holds the patent rights. That gives the manufacturer a monopoly on the drug for the 20-year life of the patent. During that time, it is free to raise the price as frequently and as much as the market will bear. Some short-term strategies to counter high prices include enforcing more stringent requirements for the award and extension of exclusivity rights, enhancing competition by ensuring timely generic drug availability, providing greater opportunities for meaningful price negotiation by governmental payers, generating more evidence about comparative cost-effectiveness of therapeutic alternatives, and more effectively educating patients, prescribers, 
payers, and policymakers about these choices. During Trump's campaign, he accused pharmaceutical companies of getting away with murder. Trump is looking to establish an international pricing index. His goal is to crack down on the global freeloading. Thanks, Michaela. Now we're going to move on to the interview portion of the show. On today's episode, we will be joined by two experts in the healthcare industry discussing pricing of drugs. Mike Kropp is the president and chief executive officer of Independent Health. Before Independent Health, Dr. Kropp received his bachelor's in medical degrees from Brown University and completed his residency in family practice at Memorial Hospital in Rhode Island. In addition to his medical education and training, Dr. Kropp earned an MBA from the State University of New York at Buffalo. John Rogers is Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Independent Health. Before becoming Vice President and COO, Rogers received his bachelor's degree in pharmacy and a master's degree in business administration from the State University of New York at Buffalo. After, he spent 17 years at the pharma company Bristol-Myers Squibb in various positions. Today, Rogers serves on the Dean of the School of Pharmacy National Industry Advisory Committee. Rogers also has an active pharmacy license and practices as a retail pharmacist on a part-time basis. Um, I'm joined here today by Mike Kropp and John Rogers, the CEO and COO of Independent Health. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, guys. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. So um, as we previously mentioned, we want to talk a little bit about how the uh, changing in pricing on pharmaceutical drugs impacts the healthcare industry. And so we'll kind of just shoot off question and answer, and then either one of you guys can answer as we go forward. Um, So the first question we have for you guys is, how do you think drug pricing will affect the decisions you guys make uh, day-to-day on your jobs? Well, it's a huge impact um, because, um, you know, early in our careers, uh, pricing of pharmaceuticals was a very minor component of the total spend that we have and and now it's you know roughly in the 20 percent ballpark of the medical spend and and um so it has a very substantial impact on our product offerings and the benefits that we offer to our members and our our challenges are not only measured on price and premium we're we're also measured on the delivery of quality uh in clinical results and so it's, it's a balance between making sure that we have the appropriate therapies available to achieve those objectives while uh, hopefully picking the most cost-effective uh, uh, items um, rather than just the, the ones that came out latest and uh, have very high price tags. So going off of that, uh, what are your current thoughts on reforming the patent system to make it more difficult to prolong product exclusivity? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take that one. I think the, um, the, the patent system is, is a good one because it allows for innovation and sharing of ideas and protects the innovative uh, organizations uh, to re- return some of the investment they made. Um, you know, one of my roles at the last roles at, at uh, Bristol Myers Squibb was evergreening, which was identifying new patents for uh, indications or dosage forms that were previously um, uh, unpatented and could extend the life of a drug. And it's really you know, all about shareholder value and increasing um, shareholder value. It's not really about making sure that the healthcare system is paying the, the least amount for what um, what it could in a generic form. So I, I'm personally against it, um, having been on that side, that we, we created a lot of stuff 
that really added no great value to the delivery of health care, but it did protect shareholder value. And I'll just give you one quick example. Um, is uh, there, I was in the dermatology division. We, we had a drug called Ultra, Ultravate, which is a high-potency steroid. Um, and we had another drug called Lacrydin, which is a dry skin cream. Lacrydin, um, the cost was, I'm going to guess right now, about a dollar to make. And Ultravate was probably more close to five bucks to make because we had a license with it. So $6, the cost of making those two drugs. There's a company today that is, owns the patents for those, or owns the brands for those. The patents are gone. But, and they've packaged this thing up in a thing called Ultravate X. So in the same box, they put a Lacardian bottle and they put an Ultravate tube in the same box, and they've marked that up to eight hundred dollars. Wow! And then oh, they then they wow. provide coupons. They give you coupons so that the the consumer basically pays nothing, but the health plan will pay whatever the difference is seven hundred dollars or whatever it might be. That's the type of manipulation of the uh, of the system that just is um, outrageous. Right. And how much government intervention do you think there should be when it comes to negotiating with pharmaceutical companies for Medicare medicines, if any at all? Well, that's a bit of a slippery slope, um, you know, because I, I think that, um, um, you know, there, there ought to be market forces in, in play for sure. Um, and so if the government wanted to look at how to set ceilings and then let companies kind of work and negotiate uh, underneath those ceilings. That's one thing, but setting specific pricing um, I think is something that would be disruptive to the market and not well accepted uh, by many players in the industry. Um, You mentioned that uh, there ought to be some market force at play. Um, Historically drug pricing in other countries has been significantly lower uh, than in the United States, excluding third world countries, do you think there should be some pricing parity globally or, or no? What are your thoughts on that matter? Uh, the short answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, the fact that the United States um, health industry basically pays the, the full freight for all of goes into pharmaceutical development um, and then it's given away to the rest of the world. It's just an unsustainable model for our economy. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it's probably even not the most egregious example, but the one I cite frequently is the drug for hepatitis uh, C that was uh, developed and it sells in the United States for about $80,000 a course of treatment. And you go to other countries like Egypt and you can buy it for $800 per course of treatment. Um, Now, those other countries basically have price controls. And in order to be available in that country, you have to meet the government's price. Um, I I think that, um, um, you know, there, there, there has to be some equalization that takes place across the world. Great. Um, So we have one more question for you guys. And we're wondering uh, how you expect drug pricing to change over the next five years. You know, the challenge right now is we've got benefits in in this country that basically create a a, uh, abnormal economics where you're you're paying a $5, $10, $20, $100 copay. And the uh, manufacturer has no real sensitivity to the to trip, traditional economics that um, volume would decrease if their price is not um, worth the value that a, a consumer perceives. And so as long as there's a copay system in place, 
um, it's it's uh, it's going to be difficult. So I see some some movement in some organizations to go away from those type of things and try to get more touch to the actual cost of the drugs. But that's a painful process, and it also could be unfair for those who don't have resources. Yeah, I think uh, John's point's well taken that uh, if you go back uh, probably as late as the 1990s, um, pharmaceuticals weren't covered with co-payments largely. And so there were true market forces for the pricing of drugs. Um, uh, And um, to move back and... You know, what's fascinating is now the pharmaceutical industry um, has been given this kind of gift by managed care, um, by creating co-payments for drugs, opening up huge market opportunities. And what does the industry do now when they're threatened, come back and try and throw the managed care industry under the bus for restricting access to their drugs? So no no good deed goes unpunished. But I think John's point about um, moving to coinsurance is a likely logical step that will take place. But the other force that is going to be just really interesting to watch it play out is um, how this current administration will push forward on the whole topic of transparency of pricing and transparency of cost. So as John was giving you the example earlier on of the reason that patent protection made sense initially, but perhaps no longer makes sense, was um, because of all the manipulation that's going on with no additional research and development going on, and all it is is price extension. And having real transparency about what the cost of development is, and, you know, I think things have changed dramatically in terms of how drugs can be sort of profiled genetically and tested. And so it's a very different world than what it was when the patent system was developed. So the idea of having full transparency and true transparency on what the costs of development are and then what the costs in the system are and the transparency about pricing will bring about some pretty good dynamics going forward. To conclude today's episode, the pharmaceutical industry is a unique industry because the end user is not normally the one that pays for the prescription drug. Drug pricing in the U.S. is not transparent. Extraordinary pricing of orphan drugs can lead to price gouging and can have an adverse impact on a company's reputation. This can lead to non-market threats of increased regulatory and or antitrust enforcement. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.